0: Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is The Death Show. This is a 14-part series on death and healing. And if you have lost someone close, let me just first say that I am so sorry for your loss. I cannot fathom the pain and suffering that you're in right now. And I want to let you know that the pain and suffering as within your heart Is what has inspired me to put this show together. You are not alone. You have a friend in me, and you have a friend in the show. And you and I we're gonna walk through these fourteen parts together. We're gonna ask questions that need to be asked. And I don't care what your background is, I don't care who you are, it doesn't matter. All of us deal with the pain associated with losing someone close. And it is my big greatest hope that this show can somehow help you find some measure of peace, some measure of understanding. This show was originally inspired because of something that happened to a dear friend of mine named Dave. Experienced this unspeakable personal tragedy and I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't want to go up to him and say, hey Dave, you know, thoughts and prayers and God has a plan. I, I want to do something more than that. And that's what the show primarily is about. The show is for you, Kevin. And it's for you, Corey. And it's for you, Crystal. You, Jennifer. And all those who have lost someone close. We have created close to 70 people across all different fields mental health professionals, people who've had near death experiences, even atheists. It's very comprehensive. And before we begin, I just want to give a special thanks to Ms. Sandra Martin. From the International Association for Near Death Studies, who was a huge part in helping us get some of our phenomenal guests. So thank you, Miss Martin. And thank you to all of our listeners. And let us begin the journey right now. Joining us now is someone very special to the Adelaide Seventy Truth Radio Show. She happens to be an amazing listener. And she experienced a very personal tragedy. Her name is Crystal Mobbs. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: And the honor is all ours. Crystal, you experienced a um, heartbreaking tragedy about a year ago, losing someone who's so close to you. What is some advice that you can offer to other people who are experiencing the same heartbreak? And what have you learned so far in your path uh, towards healing?
1: Well, I, in my journey, in the very beginning, I have to be very clear that there's going to be many people trying to give their condolences and find the right words in their opinion to lessen the hurt of your heart. And no one had paved the way for me being such a young widow. No one around me had guidance or Advice for me. So when someone would come to me and give me that textbook cliche, I'm so sorry, time heals, don't find love again. He's in a better place. He's always with you. It was the most annoying skin crawling words that anyone could ever say to me. So to anyone who's experiencing a new loss, just be aware that no one is trying to annoy you or hurt you or frustrate you. They just don't necessarily know the right words to shower you with comfort. So it took me a long time to understand that and go from wanting to punch someone in the face when they said time heals to just looking at them and saying thank you and go about my way. Also, I have, it has been nine months yesterday since Jeff was killed and people would tell me you there's silver lining like there's a purpose behind all this and no one wants to hear that there's a purpose behind the loss of your loved one's life
0: it's like god like god's master plan right like you know this is part of gospel this is why i think god's plummeting in the approval ratings
1: we are. Right. Right. It's it, it's like what purpose what purpose right. is there? Like, I don't get it. And the only light at the end of the tunnel that I am just now starting to see is I experienced a fairy tale, amazing, once in a lifetime love that most people never scratch the surface on. And I am grateful and I'm blessed that Jeff and I experienced that now with his loss and with anyone listening who is experiencing a loss, it's going to be a very long journey, but hopefully you will come to a bridge where I have found myself where now I have to rediscover who crystal is as the young widow, as the single mom to an infant. And I have had to find strength within myself to pick myself up and start on again. And I'm finding that that is my now journey in life to be a great mom and be a woman. And I also view life differently. And I will be the first to admit that if someone walked past me that, you know, was overweight or, you know, had high waters and dingy clothes, I would like judge them In my own mind, or if sometimes I would turn to whoever's with me and be like, oh, my God, like, really? And now I don't do that. I don't know other people's past lives. I don't know if that person wearing high waters just had his house be burnt. And that was the only thing that he can manage to walk out the front door with. I just am trying to be the best version of myself that I am. And that is one thing that I can say to anyone listening. There will be a moment when you can laugh again. You will smile, but let the tears flow. If you are listening to a song and you just feel them coming, you let them roll down your cheek because that is your soul's way of healing. And I, there's not a day that I don't fall to the floor Crying out for Jeff and, and, you know, the loss of our family dynamics and his physical presence. But each day, I have to get up. And everyone out there listening, you have to get up and just move on to the next day because your next day is never promised. I know better than anyone that tragedy can hit in a second.
0: Wow. Ms. Krista Mobbs, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I mean, the short time we were really to get. had had you on, you just uttered so many uh, great pieces of, of insight and words and actually one last thing before you go is there any affirmation or that you say on a daily basis that brings you peace, that brings you love and brings you joy?
1: You know, this may sound cliche, it may sound bonkers to many I literally I talk to Jeff every single night at the end of the day as I'm in bed just put the baby to sleep I close my eyes I take some deep breaths and I just talk to him and I say I don't know when the day is that I'm going to join you in that afterlife but I know one day I will and I just I, I try to make Jeff proud I try to make my daughters proud I try to make my family proud and every day I just thank Jeff for his love and I know he's still encouraging and supporting and pushing me along this path. And I kid you not, every single night I, I tell him how in love I am with him, and I can't wait to open my eyes to see his again one day.
0: Uh, Chris Mobbs, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: No, thank you, Ryan. I, you have been such a huge part of my healing, and you – Calling me and emailing and making sure that my heart is okay is more than that. I have no words, so thank you.
0: We wouldn't have it any other way. Joining us now is Lisa Marie McNorton, another one of our beloved listeners. I- hey, Miss McNorton, thank you so much for being with us today. And understanding is that you experienced a personal tragedy in the past year. You lost your brother and you lost some other people in your life. And I was wondering if you could please discuss how that has impacted you. What are some of the things that you have done to begin your healing process?
2: Well, hi. Um, I appreciate, uh, you having me in the topic. Um, it's grief is hard and it's very personal and it's very human. And I, and I think, um, and it's never something that you expect (laughs) for sure. And, uh, the, the, you know, the day I heard about my brother, my other brother had called. Um, there's there's was just the three of us as kids. And, you know, I was chastising him the moment I picked up the phone for not calling me. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it kind of teaches you those life lessons that um, you need to be more aware and mindful of those in your lives and those that you need to have in your lives. And to reach out, um, I, I think a lot of people deal with uh, guilt. You know, I, I think we all have uh, things that haven't been said, and things we didn't do, and visits we didn't make, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, my my brother, God love him, uh, he he had a horrible drinking problem, and he has been he had been battling it for decades and I for one, when I had my daughter uh, very late in life, I you know needed all of my energy and I, and I just couldn't go through you know like another few years of helping him and trying to you know be there hundred percent for my daughter which um, some people who have uh, relatives or friends in, in those, Enabling relationships, for whatever reason, uh, can you know kind of empathize, and so you kind of keep them at a, a shoulder, a, a arms length, and might give them the cold shoulder once in a while to kind of teach them a lesson, so you think, and then the next day they're gone, and you have a lot of personal guilt to uh, to deal with, and I, I don't know if our society really allows people to be to to feel guilty anymore and and to to let them know that it's okay because guilt means that you've made a mistake but it also means that you are aware of these errors and ways thinking feeling actions and that you are aware of them and and you wish you could you know you have the remorse you you wish you could do better or you could do different and now you know you may not be able to with this person, but now look at all these people around you that you can. And and for whatever, um, whenever that hits some people as they grieve, and I think that's a point that kind of helps them flip from the the mourning into um, the, the grieving and mourning into the surviving and then the living. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yes. And Sorry,
2: did I ramble too much? No, it was, it was,
0: it was perfect. I actually, I lost a, a close friend many years ago, and he had a bit of drug problem. And he got a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. He got about eight different chances, and finally, he was he ran out of chances. And it was very difficult because there was nothing you could do. Yeah, ultimately, it was yeah. that, it was that individual's actions that that got them to to where they were. And I'm so sorry for the experience, situation you have, for what you've experienced. And looking at it now, knowing that other people that are listening have had someone close to them that have died as a result of maybe their own hands or their own addictions, what do you say to them as far as what they can do to really begin um, moving along and uh, filling their life up with love once again?
2: Well, first of all, if, if if you have a, a friend or a loved one that moved on through their own addiction and pain. And I think this also speaks to um victims of suicide too. Because I think people who who, who get themselves to a point that they abuse something so much that it's it's physically taking their lives. Um that uh, the, the, there is some hurt and some healing and, and holes that they are, they are trying to fill, right? So with my brother, I, 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 the, the first thing I said is, oh, he's finally at peace with himself. Because he was never at peace with himself. He, he never found himself worthy of success or worthy of, of achievement. And it was so odd because when he was a younger person, he was an overachiever, and then somewhere through his life, it was the opposite, you know. And so he was out of his pain. And I, and I think people have to, to realize that for all of the grief and the mourning and, and the woe is me, and, and there is some, and there should be some. Oh, my God, there should be some. And let it come. Let the tears come. Let them flow. They, they will be at odd times. And, and allow that to happen, but don't do it at the cost of those who are around you. Don't do it at the cost of your children. Don't do it at the cost of your spouses, of your, at, at, for your job, because that is not grieving. That is ceasing to live, and that is ce- that is not being the survivor of, you know, a family member's death. That that's that that is stopping your your movement forward, and it's. It's stagnation. It's stalling out. And, um, you know, give yourself time and give yourself waves, but, but don't stay stuck. You know, you, you will reach the period that's right for you. And, and, and you know, for those people who, who did, like my brother with his alcoholism, the reason those, those attempts to sober up or to fix themselves or whatever – doesn't take is because they didn't want to do it the first time, and they didn't want to do it for the right reasons. So whatever those reasons would be for them. Um, and 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 eventually, you know, the body can only take so much. You know, literally my brother drank himself to to a liver that destroyed itself. And that is not the thing that you wish upon your loved ones. And and you wish you could tell people that who have that problem. And and I battled with it myself. We all have our inner demons that that um, you know, take over in these lower times. And I, I think it's also very important that as you grieve, that you don't give in to your own lower demons, you know, your own lower energies and get stuck waddling in and 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 you know, sitting yourself in this mire and mud of of Lowness, because it does become comfortable, like depression almost. It becomes a familiar state after a while, and that's why it's important to grieve, but make sure to pay attention to those around you and to reach out and to try to live.
3: It's okay to like to taste the taste of chocolate again,
2: and it's okay. Even if you had a, a friend lose themselves to, to a, an addiction, it's okay to go and have a drink if you, if you do not have that situation yourself. Yeah, you know, it's okay to go and start living life and enjoying life again. And it's also okay, while you're doing that, to be human and have thoughts and memories come by and, and be sad. But eventually, these memories with time, instead of sadness, they bring what they should be bringing back to us. They'll be bringing laughter and, and smiles and fondness and nostalgia rather than sadness and loss. And, and, and it's hard. And, it, it comes back. Uh, and, and it I, hits you at the worst uh, times,
0: too. <laughs> is it, when you were in that moment, when it is so intense, when it hits you at the worst times, whether it be at the beginning or even months or even years later, wh- what do you do? What do you think someone can do to begin to pull themselves out of that dark place, to pull themselves back into a... some state of comfort, some state where they they can fully realize and appreciate uh, the beauty of life.
2: Well, that person, okay, it's going to sound cliche. That person would have wanted them to live and and to, to enjoy the time that you have because they can't enjoy the time that they had left. We don't know when it's gonna hit us, right? Any of us. So why not take every moment to to live with you know, mutual admiration and adoration of those around you and, and allow yourself that joy and not to neglect your body and, and your soul. You know, that's that's the thing, is that we, we get into this uh, this penance mode I think with grief and that's not what it's about it's, it's not about being the, the only survivor even if you did survive something horrific like these poor kids that have to survive these just traumatic horrendous shootings or whatever incidents are in this week's news right or an earthquake or whatever it is if, if you don't take that time to realize it time and unforeseen circumstances could befall us all. There, there comes a point where, where it's okay to, to wallow, all right? But maybe if, if somebody's experiencing a point where they just can't get out of bed, they just have no joy in the sound of their kid's laughter, whatever, if, if they're at that low of a state of grief, the fact of the matter is, is that you are here, and there is life and beauty all around you. And you are human, and it's okay to have these low points. But at some point, you need to start giving yourself these, these breaks and, and breaths of fresh air. It doesn't even have to be a change of scenery. Just go out and get some fresh air. Just allow yourself a little bit at a time. And start to make that a little less about the grieving and a little bit more about the living to the point that you find it palatable. You know, you and I have been talking about some weight that I had lost during this time, which was fantastic. I'm, I'm happy it happened, and it probably saved my life. It wasn't intentional. And the fact of the matter is, as much as I love food, to this day, I have a hard time really enjoying food to the point that I used to. And I have to force myself to eat now, you know, because I, I get a little sad. My brother loved to cook. He was a great cook, too, intuitive. He, he was, he was a, a, a savant cook, you know. And so, uh, and, and, yeah, it hits me. And when it hits me, I let it hit me, you know. And, and if it does... You're going to take that moment and you're going to take that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, hour, half a day, whatever it is. Don't abuse it. You know, don't use it as an, as an excuse to suddenly have a crutch to not see anybody because that gets pretty comfortable too. So, you know, I think we know our healthy boundaries and I think we know deep down, each of us deep down. We, we know when we're fooling ourselves and we know when we need something. And to listen to that, truly. Don't, don't fool yourself into, you know, creating a bad habit of emotion when something healthier and you know it could, could help you. So give yourself some kindness and compassion, but at the same time find yourself using it too much as a crush and crutch and give yourself that little push.
0: Miss Lisa Marie McNorton, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Your words are beautiful. Your advice came right from the heart, and I'm sure people are definitely going to appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh, thank you. You have a great day.
0: Joining us now is Miss Lisa Luckett, founder of Cosmina Enlightened Living. She's an author. She's a speaker. You can learn more about her by going to her website at Cosmina, C-O-Z-M-E-N-N-A dot com. Miss Luckett, Sadly, you lost your husband on September 11th. I was call, um, How do you recover from something like that? How? What advice do you offer from somebody who's experienced a personal tragedy of that magnitude?
4: Thank you, Ryan, first of all, for having me. Um, my first answer would be that 9-11 was the first event of its type on American soil. So it was brand new without a skill set for any of us. Um, the more so now, because terrorism's been in the news so much for the last 15 years, that it's kind of more commonplace that people are thinking about this. the The answer is, I lost my husband in 9/11, but it wasn't. they were two separate events. There was the death of my husband and the father of my three little kids. So 9/11 was really his car accident, his cancer, his you know um, heart attack. It's how he died. Separate from that was the national, international episode, tragedy, uh, terroristic event of the two buildings being hit almost simultaneously, Mm. and the home run that was hit for the terrorists in them falling almost again simultaneously on international television. So, So to prepare for something like that, the truth is, in the 15 years since that has happened. Nothing else has really, really happened. I mean, where I live here in New Jersey, the sun has been coming up every morning just the same way as it did. It's been, we're the same. The world here is the same except that we have changed in our perception. Um, So to more answer your question, it rendered me very open. I was so much in shock. I had been prepared over a series of life events, not realizing that it was preparing me to handle this, but the interesting part is I was a nursing mother of a four-month-old and I kind of bounced that morning after the initial hour and was fully functional because uh, my husband had walked down in the event, in the first attack in 1993, so I'd been through that. They went back in with knowledge. My mother-in-law, my husband was a little overweight and was in a very stressful job and was not eating well and exercising. And my mother-in-law was very afraid for him. So she talked about his having a heart attack all the time. So it made me prepare for his death. So I'd had a real terror experience and then had, having this kind of fearful, uh, preparation. So I ran his death through my mind literally hundreds of times. So- what is in, I'm sorry.
0: Go ahead. I just want to pause. So, if you if you do that, if you if you actually expect and prepare uh, in your mindset that somebody close to you is going to die, what is it, it? makes the process easier.
4: Yes, absolutely. So, I think what's happened is we've been so become so afraid to talk about death. You know, kind of whisper. it you look know, kind of like cancer, shh, cancer. That the truth is, death is a reality of life. So, my belief would be if you can remember that you are strong, that you. are... By thinking about it doesn't mean it's going to happen because it is inevitable that it will happen down the road. But in preparation, I bought as much life insurance as I could afford. I knew where all the documents were that were important and I let it go. So the morning of was like a bounce. I bounced and I never you, would have expected that. And I was literally fully functional and fine.
0: But I mean, wasn't it, but then the shock was it, wasn't it devastating when it happened? I mean, that, nah, nah, but sure. the whole shock of it. Sure. I just can't imagine what that must have been like.
4: It was, it was, of course, devastating to watch the drama of that unfold in my family room holding my little kid's hands, you know, but, but the truth is the first time, so I had, I had a lot of prior knowledge of this more than a lot of people. Um, yes, the first hour, absolutely. My son told me I was screaming Ted, 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 and my husband's name was Ted and stamping my feet. I don't even remember doing that, but he does. Um, he was four. So, but in with because people started flooding into my house, the phone started ringing. I I had to start dealing. It wasn't like I could crawl under a rock. I I was receiving their terror, their fear. I was calling people to find out where they were. My friends who had husbands there, you know, where are they? Accounting for everyone. So it was a very busy morning. It was a very busy week, multiple weeks, months. It was chaos. In just the form of news, information, neediness, just on a neediness, meaning people needing to know, coming in to touch me. Are you okay? If this happened to me, would I still be okay? Lisa's okay. I can touch her. So I would be okay too. It's very It was a very interesting projection of the fear because it was such a shock.
0: I, I, you can imagine. So, if somebody, if you're talking to someone out there right now who has experienced a shock, the shock of a loss of a loved one, what advice do you give to them?
4: To stay as calm as possible, to let nature, God, the universe, source, let nature hold you. Let it literally give the ebb and flow that will come. What I was always afraid of was this catastrophic, debilitating pain that would last for 24-7 for an indefinite amount of time and that isn't at all what I had. First of all, I was the mother of three young children. So children, if you're a widow with young children, you have to function. So they provide a distraction and distraction in grief is really healthy, healthy distraction. Not avoidance don't go not medicating not you know doing things in that way but but when it's not on your mind because nature is going to give you the break it's going to render you numb at points take it because the, the, the grief will come back it's always going to come back because it's always morphing and changing but with time it dissipates the pain will dissipate to the place where you ultimately welcome some tears you welcome that sad moment I call it happy sorrow, where you have this memory and, it's, and it hurts, but it's a way to touch them. It keeps them alive. And one of the things I think that's a very, I was afraid of is I would forget him. And the truth is you never forget the person you love because you've loved them. It's the love that connects you, you know, and that's bigger than all of us. So we often, and I think in our society, we confuse letting go with forgetting. But it's really important after the first couple of years, I always say there's the year of firsts, like we've all heard, and that's when you're going through everything the first time without that person. What people don't really talk about is the year of seconds, which is when you're doing it all by yourself without really the support of everyone else because they've gone back to their lives as they should because life is for the living. But we can bring forward our loved ones with us in a healthy way. And that is what I was able to do with my husband and my children. And my kids are now 22, 19, and 15. So they've grown up, you know, without him. and But he's very much present in their world. So you don't ever really lose them if you allow nature and trust that you're going to be given what it is you need. In the sense of, um, in the sense of this kind of cosmic care, that just don't torture yourself with shoulds. I think culturally we are enabling a lot of pain that we, the person projecting in their their experience onto me. The people that would look at me, all they can see is oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. When the truth is, what I got was so much love and support that I would never have been able to conjure when I was thinking about his death. I didn't know the mind-blowing power of prayer, of literally international, global prayer from people I never knew, friends and strangers alike, and it lasted forever. I still get it to this day, but that's because it's 9-11. If you're talking about normal grief, a normal loss, it gets quieter a lot faster. But you do get those people to come in and take care of you. And what I found so interesting, and I've asked many people of their own experiences of death or, or, tra- or cancer or tragedy, since it's often the people you expect will be there are not there. And it's new people, people that kind of come out of a secondary or tertiary friendship who rise to the occasion and bond with you in this beautiful way. Again, silver linings, you... You can't or we don't talk about enough to say, you're going to be okay. You will be okay.
0: And when somebody is trying to console another who's experienced a horrible tragedy, what are some of the best words or things a person can say to that other person?
4: I think people, what I found a lot personally was that people would say, let me know if you need help. Well, the truth is I was never going to let them know. Nobody. It's, it's one of the first of all. There's not a lot anyone can do. So I found that it, when I've gone through it, it's more doing. If you think of something you want to do for that person, just do it. Um, the Christmas after. Well, well, an, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. What if
0: you? Do, what if I'm sorry? What if you do something and that you're infringing upon them and that you're crowding up their space? Uh, you, you should, what does? I mean, I just want to make sure that.
4: Um, that I don't think anyone's sure. ever. I mean, people can be hurting. But there's really never a time that you can give too much. I mean, I don't think calling, maybe leaving a message, writing a note, not necessarily being in their in their space with them, dropping something off, uh, leaving a plant. It's just a thought. It's just a thought that carries people, because there's really nothing you can do. That that pain is that pain, and it is individual to the person. I don't think um, you can certainly be there any, for whatever they ask. Bring them food. I mean, if I had, if I could count how many lasagnas I had, um, it would be high. But, but that's what people needed to do to also help themselves because that's part of loss and tragedy. Is when someone, when someone you know has a loss, you want to help them. You also realize there's not much you can do. But you project, wow, what if that was me? And I need to take care. I need to feel better about this. So I need to do something for them. That is very acceptable and very normal. So that's why so much food is given. And that's why, you know, in my little company, we we knit a shawl called a Cosmina. And it's about taking care of someone who's hurting, about wrapping yourself in metaphoric love, in a metaphoric mother's hug. And that People make Cosmina for exactly this reason, because there's nothing else you really can do, but it's a way to take care of someone very subtly. Because if grief doesn't happen, you know, it's not over in a week. For the person who lost something, it's a change forever. Can you live with it? Absolutely. Do you get better? Absolutely. Will you be happy again? Absolutely. But, but in those initial days and weeks and months, all of those gestures, so any loving gesture it is wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, Don't expect a response. People in that grieving moment are maybe so lost in their in the depth of it that they can't write a thank you note. There's not maybe a lot of manners around it. But know in your gesture that you have done everything you can do, and and that would be my answer. Don't ask what you can do; just do, and it will it will be appreciated, and it will help.
0: Ms. Lisa Luckett, I want to thank you so much. I really thought you provided some great sound advice for people. And to learn more about Ms. Luckett, please go to our website at Cosmina, C-O-Z-M-E-N-N-A dot com. Thank you so much, Ms. Luckett.
4: All right. Thank you.
0: Joining us now is Erin Brinker. is host of a large radio station, large radio show in California. She's also a passionate advocate for charity and sadly, she lost her mom. And uh, Miss Brinker, welcome to the program. I was wondering if you can please share with our audience what the experience was like losing your mom. What have you done to, begun, to begin the healing
5: process? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it was a tough experience, as you, as you might imagine, as it is for everyone. Um, on the one side, you know in your heart that, that everybody has to deal with the mortality of their parents unless they pass away first. And so, um, you know, I known, I had known and still know lots of people who had recently lost parents. Um, and so I was able to lean on the people I know who had been through it and um, lean in my faith. I mean, it was um, – we knew she, she was sick, and she spent the last two months of her life in a hospital. Um, and so – it wasn't, it wasn't a shock, um, but it's still the – first, the first several months are kind of surreal. Um, the next several months, you're really feeling it. I mean, the, the cycles of grief are, are – <laughs> they're real. They're, they're exactly how things, how things are. And I think the biggest – rather the best advice that, I, that, that helped me was just to allow myself to go through the process. Um, for me, I leaned in, into friends and family and faith. Um, I, am a Christian and, you know, the Bible was a source for, of real, um, solace for me and real comfort for me. And, um, uh, particular scriptures, you know, Psalm 147, three, he heals the broken hearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 34:18, the Lord is close to the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, and that helps tremendously. You know, I, um. I tried to go to grief counseling and found it, um, I'm the kind of person who I'm kind of empathic. Okay. I'm very empathic. Um, and so being around a, a bunch of other grieving people was very difficult for me. So this was something that, um, that I had to, that I had to do in, in, I did go through counseling. So I, I'm one on one counseling and that was, um, very helpful for me. Um, I found that. In my, I, so she she passed away on the 18th of September in 2016, and on the 19th of September, that Monday morning, because she died on a Sunday night, I was back up, I was on the air, and I, uh, yeah, I, but that helped me because I could I could put it aside, I could say, you know, um, I, I, I I had to have the not the the normal and the constant. Now I went home and cried for hours. <laughs> but having just my pattern um, kept me going um, yeah I felt I think if I had I had not done that that I would have lost myself in grief and I didn't want to do that so,
0: um, so do, you think, uh, yeah. do you think that in one way even though some people will just not want to engage or process the loss because they want to keep themselves busy do you think it's actually crucial to have moments during the process, where you are very busy, where you need a break from this?
5: Um, For me, I would – absolutely, because it becomes overwhelming. Yes, for me, absolutely. And My brother was – everybody mourns their own way. Everybody grieves their own way. My brother went to work, too, Um, and, um, you know, this was – both of us needed the, the ritual of being in in the workplace and being doing our jobs. Now, I won't say that we were the most productive people in the world, but, we you know, being there was, um, being at work made me think, okay, so I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still okay. Um, this is going to be fine. You know, she's in a much better place. And so, you know, that for me helped. I didn't take time off until a month later when we had her memorial service. And then I took, uh, I took the, um, it was on a Wednesday and I took the rest of the week off and my husband and I went to Lake Powell in Utah.
0: And Ms. Picker, you mentioned that it was your faith that was very crucial and then it helped you get through the experience of, you know, losing your mom. Have you ever come across information or feelings or even seen visualizations that, were true to you that you know that were real to you but at the same time would actually be um, in disagreements with um, aspects of faith and I'm not just talking about from a Christian faith. I'm wondering if there are other people who either have uh, premonitions about certain things who visually see things and who actually have other experiences that uh, don't coincide with foundations with their faith or about I'm wondering if that's ever happened to you and how people should process that
5: so um... Um, I'm going to say – well, I, I, I don't want to – let me complete a thought. So, so I believe that um, – that are there supernatural things that happen? Yes. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, I'm, I am empathic. I am. And my mother was as well. Um, but I believe that it's a gift that came from the Lord. Um, now, is the, does the Bible specifically talk about empathic people? No, but it also doesn't talk about people who are five foot three versus six foot ten. <laughs> you know, so there there are, there are aspects of life that are not necessarily um, there. Uh, do I believe that um, there's a world that that, that we cannot see um, that's around us? Yes, I do. Absolutely, without a doubt, I know that that's true. Um, are there? Different ways of looking at that world that is, exists around us that we cannot see. Yes, there are different ways of looking at that world. Um, I believe that the that you know, being a Christian, I believe um, in in the Old and New Testaments, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the way. But I understand that there are people who who view that other world that we cannot see differently than I do. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. And the final question I have for you is, what would be the one affirmation or um, quote that you could think of on a regular basis that would pull you or maybe pull anyone through a dark period of time, a quote that they could say on a regular basis, a quote that would you know, bring them peace or at least has brought you peace?
2: So
5: um, there is a scripture, and I almost got this tattooed on my arm. It's been so important to me. Um, Psalm 4610 is, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So the be still and know was profoundly important for me during this time. That, that, that yes, there's things that happen, like death, that, that is out of my control. But that's okay. Things are working the way they're supposed to be working, and I will get through this.
0: Miss Erin Brinker, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And Erin is a host of a large radio station. She's a passionate uh, advocate of charity, does a lot of wonderful things, and it's a true honor to have you with us today.
5: Thank you so much. Have, have a wonderful day. It's been a treat.
0: Joining us now is Dr. John Huber, chairman for the Mainstream Mental Health, a nonprofit organization that brings lasting and positive change to the lives of individuals who suffer from mental health issues. Dr. Huber is also a clinical forensic psychologist, and you learn more about him by going to his website at mainstreammentalhealth.org. Dr. Huber, welcome to the program your experience. Thank
6: you for having me, Ryan.
0: Oh, you're, you're welcome. You lost your father and I would, can't imagine how painful that must have been. What was it like for you and what are some of the things that you did in the short and long term that have helped you heal from that experience?
6: Well, when when I lost my father, it was, I was actually in my first semester of graduate school. So I finished my bachelor's degree and um, we had, you know, my My uh, brother was graduating, too, and uh, actually it was my sister, and my parents were, you know, it was kind of tight then. So they were going to go to her graduation, and I decided to not walk, which, you know, that that turned out to be kind of a bad idea in the long run. You know, once he passed away, I I was wishing I had spent the time with him and celebrated it. But, uh, I was about three quarters of the way through my first semester and I spent that Saturday afternoon, he and I got on the phone and I can remember having probably the best conversation I'd had with him in, in ages. I mean, everything was working good. He, he had, uh, started his own business and he was, you know, he got all these contracts and, and he was on his way to being very successful. And literally the next Monday night, uh, he had an asthma attack at nine thousand feet in the mountains and died. Just unexpected. It was it was very shocking. And my wife at the time, it's still my wife, but at the time she was home. I was in graduate classes and she drove up to campus and and um knocked on the door of one of my classes and, and pulled me out and told me and you know, it was just like a ton of bricks just falling on top of me because you know you, you you talk to him you know three days or two days earlier and he's on top of the mountain. I mean, happier than I I could ever remember him being in the previous probably fifteen years. Uh, he he had felt like and it looked like he had control of his life and he was doing everything he wanted to do. And you know that was it. That light went out. And uh, but at least he went out on top. That's the way I like to look at it. And it was, a, it was a struggle, you know, and, and uh, luckily, you know, I was in a graduate school program for mental health, so all my professors were practitioners, and uh, they were very amic- amicable as far as scheduling what, what I had left in the semester and taking care of things, and it, it was pretty pretty rough.
0: Do you find that because you were in a profession that specifically dealt with um, – human psyche, that it gave you a competitive advantage, and do you also think that for people who do not have any sort of grasp or knowledge or understanding about human psychology, that when something like this happens, that they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage? Do you think that all people should have some semblance or idea of the basic formulations of human
6: psychology? Well, I think it's a, a benefit. I think it did help me in a lot of different ways, and it continues to help me. Uh, the, the the interesting thing is, as a psychologist, you have people come to your office, and they have such a varied life experience. And the more things you've experienced, the easier it is for you to communicate, to understand, to empathize with your patients. And having lost uh, my father and thinking about him every single day when somebody walks in because they've lost a loved one it is you know very much a a real feeling i can i can easily sympathize with that and uh shortly thereafter my roommate got diagnosed with cancer and at the end of the the, that my roommate before i got married he got diagnosed with cancer and that christmas he passed away wow. and uh, I was you know I was there with, with his family, his mother, father, brother, uh, his sister-in-law and uh, it was it was kind of a double whammy uh, as far as that's concerned. you know it kind of piled up but it was also something I could relate to everybody with and, and I had that experience and, it, and it actually I think losing my father helped me get through. Someone who you know is essentially my age that is is gone, and because that's kind of even worse in a lot of ways, because you think of how much life they had in front of them. So it's it's
0: scary. Sometimes in our culture, there are people who I guess they become numb to certain feelings. Like I think, in a, especially in American culture, there's a lot of people that consume a lot of violent movies, T V shows, video games, and you would imagine that that they eventually become numb to the violence. Do you think that because if a culture continues to saturate itself in violence and becomes, you know, completely disassociated with um, with the true advocations of violence, that in one way, well, shape, or I, I, form it could actually help you get through the the death process, you know, losing someone close because you're exposed to it so much on a regular basis?
6: Well, the, the difference is what you're exposing yourself to in in movies and video games is fictional. So a lot of times, you know, you don't have real expectations, and, and people don't realize that everybody grieves in their own way. And their losses are different, and they have different meanings. Uh, for example, a, a very good friend of mine, she – She had been working with her husband who had gotten diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, you know, they had the cancer treatment all lined up, and he was home for a couple weeks before the cancer treatment started. And a week ago, you know, he went to bed and didn't wake up. And it was unexpected. He wasn't expected to have any problems, and they were still planning on the cancer treatment. And her grief had kind of played out with his struggle. You know, she – She was struggling with his loss, with the pain he was suffering. So when he passed, his pain was over. And although she she, she misses him, I mean, there's no doubt, uh, and there were tears lost, but she she has expressed empathy for him and thankfulness that he's no longer suffering with with what could have been a very long and drawn-out cancer treatment process.
0: Uh, and when you see patients and having gone through the process yourself of losing someone very close to you, what are some of the tools that you want to offer someone who's lost someone? What are some of the tools to, to, to empower themselves to begin to process the pain and work themselves into a place where they are feeling good again, where they, are, where they do find happiness?
6: Well, one of the things I've learned, you know, with the loss, the physical loss of my father is the fact that he's still with me. I think about him every day. I, I do and make decisions. And I oftentimes, especially if I have a, a troubling or difficult decision, I sit back and think, you know, what, what would my dad do or, or what, what would foster the outcome that would make my father proud of me? And it really does a lot of times help me because he's helped me make a decision in that process. Uh, you know, he, he did what a parent's supposed to do, and that's to give you the groundwork and the structure so that you do make good decisions. So I reflect back on that. And using that technique and being able to share that with my patients oftentimes is a revelation because when, you know, we think about people being gone when they die, it's permanent. But it's a physical permanence. It's not a, a spiritual or psychological permanence. They're still with us. And I think the more we love them, the more they're with us. So uh, it's, it's almost something to celebrate. Excellent.
0: Dr. John Huber, clinical psychologist, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Dr. Huber is also the host of a phenomenal radio show called Mainstream Mental Health Radio, and we'll send you a link, post a link to that. But if you can learn more about Dr. Huber by going to his website at MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Dr. Huber, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Joining us now is Christian Walker, CEO of the Mental Health News Radio Network. You can learn more about her by going to her website at EverythingEHR.com. And also check out MentalHealthNewsRadio.com. Miss Walker, welcome to the program. Can you please explain your first-hand experience with losing someone close to you and what you did to begin the healing process?
7: Absolutely, and thanks for having me, Ryan. Um, my, I've had many experiences with losing someone, but I'd say the death of my father was the most traumatic, uh, probably because it it's came out of nowhere. He um, had a stroke. And upon coming home from the hospital, he seemed fine, and we were told it was a mild stroke. And what uh, proceeded was 44 days of this horrific but steady and fast decline. Um, no one, the doctors couldn't figure out why he was declining. He eventually just stopped eating and... Um, because of the the brain injury from the stroke and a series of several mini-strokes after, he um, became violent, and he was about as peaceful as the Dalai Lama.
0: Geez, he became um, violent? Is it because of um, neurological disorder? Was
5: they,
7: ha- they have no idea. They can't explain why, but wow. he he started punching people in, in the rehab center, and uh, they just became very suspicious. He kept thinking and saying things like, um, you've created a duplicate house. Uh, this lamp that I have from uh, Dartmouth—that's where one of, one of his alma maters—is um, a duplicate lamp. It just became extremely suspicious and paranoid, and um, and violent, uh, verbally and physically. And um, and then yeah, it was it was it was not. It was just 44 days of just the most incredible amount of stress. Um, You can imagine because we just didn't know what was going on. And uh, when he finally passed, uh, he was in hospice, and I was one of four people that were there. I was holding his hand, and uh, what was amazing was that he looked like a small child. He looked like a boy, and he was in his mid-70s, but he just before our eyes transformed into looking like a small um, maybe an eight or ten year old version of himself, and um, he passed very peacefully. And I remember kind of looking up and thinking, "Am I going to see something like his spirit leaving his body?" What um, I didn't, I didn't see anything like that. But I had this profound uh, feeling of, "I'm not afraid of death." Watching how peaceful he became, and that this transformation of him physically before he took his last breath. Any fear that I had about dying just vanished. Uh, that helped with the healing process. What I did that I would say, I hope this helps other people. I spent all of my time helping others grieve. I didn't actually allow myself to grieve. And, uh, it just, that's something that I do. I tend to Um, take care of everybody else first emotionally and um, so it it caught up with me about um, four years after he died and I really had a um, what seemed like a, a, a breakdown I didn't stop working or you know need to be hospitalized but privately I struggled and I finally realized ah I never processed the grief around what happened and how much I miss him because I was too busy focused on, on taking care of everyone else. So, um, it was a, it was a good reminder that, you know, we, it's not a heroic activity to take care of everyone else and leave yourself last. It's actually extremely damaging and, and unhealthy. Um, and, uh, to, wearing a martyr hat is never, I'm going to get you anywhere in life.
0: <laughs> so when somebody loves your family, you think it's just as equally as important to take care of yourself as it is to take care of others?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely did not focus on myself. I dove right into work um, and focused on taking care of other family members around uh, what happened and um, did not even put myself in the equation. Grieving was not even a part of my my process for myself so it, it hits you later it will hit you and it can be years later and you by that time you don't know why if i had gone to therapy right away maybe i would have realized oh i'm in grief this is the, these are the stages of grief but when it hits you years later you just think you're you know you've become mentally incapacitated in some way and you don't know why and then thankfully i had a great therapist that said i think you're you're grieving the passing of your father, um, finally. So that's, so that's what I would share with people.
0: Okay. You know, so Do you think that people should be aware of the five stages of grieving and actually maybe push themselves to, if they can, to go through that, to not avoid it, to hit it head on and to process it as soon as possible?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think I push is a tough word. Um, so I don't know that I'd, I'd use that word, but I'd say allow, allow yourself to examine those stages and um, at least try to to carve out time to do active things towards those five stages um, so that your body and your mind and your, your mental well-being knows that you care enough about yourself that you would acknowledge that this is a painful time right now because completely ignoring it the
0: wrong thing to do wow it's, it's, um, really really appreciate that Miss Kristen Walker CEO of Mental Health News Radio learn you know more about it by going to the website mentalhealthnewsradio.com and everything EHR.com Miss Walker also hosts a huge show about mental health it's fantastic they have a tremendous number of listeners I implore you that you check it out thank you so much for being with us today Miss Walker Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is Dr. Larry Burchette. He's an ER doctor, board certified, family physician, and author. You can learn more about him by going to his website at drlarry.com. Dr. Burchette, what do you think, in addition to seeing a, a therapist, what are some things that you find in your experience tend to be a, I guess a positive first step in the recovery process, in the healing recovery process for somebody who has lost someone close?
8: Well, I mean, you're talking about the stages of grief, you know, so kind of going through um, denial, bargaining, anger, and acceptance. Um, right in the ER, I think it can be helpful for people to, you know, in the waiting room, in, the, in the, the conference room or the waiting room, wherever we first deliver that news, to kind of just sit with it for a minute, you know, collect yourself. Some, people react very different ways. Some people are very demonstrative. Um, others are kind of silent, but when you're ready to um, go to the bedside and to kind of begin to see the reality that you, the loved one has passed, I, I think it may sound a little bit <clears throat> almost uh, brutal to suggest that, but I think it really helps with that um, with that grief process and getting through denial. Like having that, some people prefer to, to not even see that at all and kind of just remember. Um, Positive memories, and I think that's valid also. But I think kind of being at the bedside and and seeing someone who's um, uh, who has passed can be helpful. So I I would start there. Um, I I think um, most people like to um, remember the person fondly. Nobody's perfect, you know. We all have our mistakes, and especially if there was conflict between people before someone unexpectedly passed, that can be um, quite a burden. But I think it's helpful, you know. I think it's a a positive coping mechanism moving forward to remember the good memories and let the bad things go and kind of retell stories with people, kind of celebrate someone's life in that way um, and be grateful for the good things they did, the, good, the re- good stuff in their relationship, the things you shared, all these things, and carry those things forward, you know, have, feeling better for having known the person and, and having been touched by them and having them in their life as opposed to, I mean, you can focus on anything. You know, you could focus on mistakes or um, hurtful things or whatever, but I think it's, it's a better coping strategy moving forward for the grieving person to remember the good stuff. Um,
0: Appreciate it. Dr. Larry Burchette, I want to thank you so much for being with us today to learn more about Dr. Larry Burchette. He's a doctor, board-certified board family physician and author. You can go to his website at drlarry.com, and that's doctor Dr. Larrycom Dr. you. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Joining us now is Tracy Dunblazer. She's a grief counselor, and she's had some very... Mm, terrible experiences of witnessing people in their life die, and at the same time, she's going to offer her insights on in what she's done to begin her healing process. You can learn more about Ms. Dunblazer by going to her website at Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-E, Dunblazer, B-L-A-Z-I-E-R.com. Ms. Dunblazer, welcome back to the program. How are you?
3: I am great. Really glad to be here.
0: Thank you. So, from your firsthand experiences and losing people very close to you, especially at a young age, what did you do? Or what are some things you can relate to others in order for them to begin their healing process. Well
3: I, think I, I I don't know that my experience is completely unique, but I know that I had many uh, images, thoughts, feelings, uh, dreams, uh, experiences before uh, even the person I've, I've gone through illnesses with people and, 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 there, and there was evidence and information coming to me that they were getting ready to transition. And even if that transition took, you know, a, a few months or a few years, uh, I think the biggest part of grief that people have is learning to accept the inevitable—that the person that they love the most or that they love is is going to is going to leave them. And so I think that's 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 the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle to get over. Because as a spiritualist and a grief counselor, but I'm also a spiritualist, I don't I don't believe, uh, you know, when, when people die. Their spirit and their energy is still on some level left with us, and we are really changing our relationship to them. Um, But none of that matters when they're leaving you in the physical world. You know what I mean? Like all all the all the all the faith and hope that you can have doesn't really matter when when literally somebody is dying and they're not going to be there anymore for you to call them, you know, or for them to hold your hand. So um, I I think that finding that place of acceptance. I know. Um, several years back, my mother, um, I'd, I'd received several dreams. And actually one time she and I had an experience, and she looked at me and she says, you know, I'm going to need you to take care of me. And we were all out drinking, and it was funny, and we'd all, you know, we were having margaritas. And I said, well, don't you want your favorite daughter to take care of you? You know, I said that to her jokingly. And then she, her face got stone cold as she looked at me, and she says, no, I need you to take care of me. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but that meant something. And it was probably a year after that that she was diagnosed with cancer. And so the, the normal thing that people do when they find out that their loved ones is sick is that they, uh, they want to fix it. They want to make it better. They want to get them healthy. They, wanna, they want them – they're, they're negotiating some way to keep them still living. And so I started that. I went to the, to the, you know, the herb store and I bought her a bunch of vitamins and these powders and all of this stuff. And I brought it home and she, she was so mad at me. Oh, my goodness. And at one point she looked at me and she just said no. And that was the moment that I went, okay, she needs me to accept that she's accepted that this is her time. And no matter how long it takes from this point on, my job, my gift to her is to help her walk through this transition in a peaceful way, in the way that she needs for me, not in the way that I need for me, but in the way that she needs for me. And I was so grateful for you know I was I was about 40 something at that at that time and I was so grateful to have enough life experience and been through enough death to be able to give that to her so quickly because that, that I think like I said, is the biggest thing that most people when we're grieving or we, we were, were one of our loved ones is beginning their transitional experience because everybody has when they, when they're getting ready to die they have a transitional experience. You know, there's a, there's a long long transition for them whether it's whether their death is accidental or an illness or whatever. And so I was able to get on board with her. And at that point, it was very interesting because she became very uh, intuitive with me. We spoke often. Uh, I was, we weren't living in the same city, so I would spend like two weeks a month with, a month with her. But in our time, we would, we would share dreams. She would have dreams uh, that, was, that were – it was her way of expressing her fear about what was on the other side, if there was anything on the other side, because she, she had always believed in God but wasn't completely sure. You know, she didn't grow up in a religious background. And, uh, so I would, I would walk her through those dreams and I would talk to her and I, uh, one time this was, this was such an, a, po- a poignant experience because I had just left, uh, the hospital where she was at and I, I, she was uh, in Albuquerque going through her transition and she was in the hospital and I had gone back to Los Angeles. And it was maybe a couple days after I had gone back and she said to my sister, well, Tracy's uh, on her way. She's coming back for lunch. And my sister looked at her and said, no, she's back in Los Angeles. And she said, I know, but she's coming back to talk to me. And she pointed to her forehead (laughs) as if to say telepathically, I know, but she's here. And when my sister told me that, I was just like, oh, my God. You know, I was so grateful for that because there really is – when somebody is getting ready to transition – Regardless of what you believe, there is a process of lightening and literally enlightenment. The spirit lifts from the body, and they begin to understand and feel movement outside of the physical body and begin to function. So you you are intuitive with them. They are in your dreams, or you are in their dreams, and they do hear your thoughts.
0: Ms. Tracy Dunblazer, I want to thank you so much for sharing your insight and your experience. So more about Tracy Dunblazer. please go to our website, at Tracy T-R-A-C-E-E Dunblazer D-U-N-D-L-A-Z-I-E-R dot com thank you so much for being with us my name is Dunblazer
3: it's been great thank you Ryan
0: okay everyone that concludes part one of the death show special thanks to our incredible guests especially Crystal loves and Lisa Norton our two beloved listeners I know it took a lot of courage for them to come out and talk about their stories as did everyone else the next two parts are going to deal specifically with mental health I hope you continue to listen. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com.
3: Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick DR is a New York City based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate based clients. Goldman McCormick PR, also a specialist in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information.